his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. You're listening to KCBS in depth. Really, in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. The aggressive advocates who were looking to overrule Roe for so long, they really had no idea of the consequences they might be opening up. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful. This is KCBS In-Depth. After three years of public health orders and COVID lockdowns, a very long chapter in our pandemic fight is about to come to a close. On Tuesday, California is lifting its public health emergency, as are a number of Bay Area counties. And then, not too much later, the federal state of emergency is set to end as well. It all adds up to a wind-down of many, though not quite all, of the remaining government measures to fight this pandemic, including measures around masking, vaccination, and testing. So, with a whole lot changing in our COVID response all at once, we're going to take this moment to reflect on what that response has added up to here in the Bay Area. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Keith Menconi. Today in the program, we'll be getting some perspective from local health experts and a prominent county official to try to get a handle on what the Bay Area has gotten right and what's gone wrong in its COVID response over the past three years. The whole pandemic was so dynamic. New information was coming in every day through a fire hose. First up, we're going to be hearing from someone who's been a frequent guest on this program over this pandemic. That would be Dr. John Swartzberg, Clinical Professor Emeritus of Infectious Diseases at UC Berkeley's School of Public Health. John Swartzberg, glad to have you on right now and uh, to get your insights. Thank you. So since day one of this pandemic, we've seen all manner of attempts to manage the virus, lockdown orders, school closures, mask mandates, vaccine mandates. And it seems like those measures have made an impact. Uh, The Bay Area avoided the absolute worst of this pandemic, as demonstrated by the region's still uh, relatively low death rate as compared to other regions throughout the country. All the same, you know, all along the way, there's been this constant debate over how far we should go with these COVID measures, with some saying their benefits are far outweighed by their collateral damage. You know, the businesses closed, the kids out of school. 
and others making the exact opposite case, uh, that uh, we haven't been cautious enough, and that because of that, we've put the lives of many people, especially vulnerable people, at intolerable risk. So weighing these trade-offs, you know, weighing the impact of our past decisions now that we have more information, I think we have to admit that these are incredibly difficult questions. And just as, you know, to take a step away from the hubris of it all, uh, that we're probably not going to be able to sort it all out in this conversation. Um, Instead, what I'm hoping we can do is boil it down to a simpler set of questions that I'm going to put to you and our other guest uh, in a little bit. And that is these three questions. What went right? What went wrong? And what lessons should we take with us uh, going forward? So uh, starting off on a positive note, what went right? You know, what is one thing that you feel the Bay Area got exceptionally right in its COVID response uh, from the John Swartzberg perspective? Well, Keith, I think that um, that's a pretty simple answer for me. I look back to 2020, particularly in the spring of 2020 and in the early summer of 2020, and in thinking what went right, it was the public health response. And when I say the public health response here in the Bay Area, I'm really talking about how the public health officers got together and almost unanimously, they made decisions that they thought was in the best interest of the, of the Bay Area public. And it paid off. It paid off enormously in terms of saving lives, saving a lot of people from getting terribly ill, preserving our healthcare system at a time when think about New York in the spring of 2020, what that was like. Hmm. So it was the public health officers who I think deserve an enormous amount of credit for what they did. But, you know, the public health officers could get together and say what, uh, what they give their pronouncements or even give their mandates. But it also required the Bay Area public to respond. And so tied to my response is what went right, the public health officers getting together and making sound decisions in a time when we didn't know really what was happening. Uh, There was no roadmap to tell us what to do. They made sound decisions, but tied together with that was the Bay Area public responded in a very positive way. They stepped up to saying, you know, this is a crisis and we've got to respond and we're going to take the advice of our public health officials. Our politicians did to a large extent the same thing. So I think what went right is that we all came together, the public, our institutions, we all came together to try and make this environment that we were in at a time of tremendous turmoil a lot safer. Yeah, so it's uh, certainly uh, remarkable to see the many instances in which uh, Bay Area residents, California as a whole, found itself uh, seemingly uh, on more or less the same page in a lot of these uh, COVID questions, uh, by and large. Um, well, I want to go to our second question now, and that is, what did the Bay Area get wrong in its COVID response? And of course, we have to acknowledge when we say wrong, we are talking from this point of 2020 hindsight, where we know much more now than we did back then. And uh, knowing what we know now, what are what is one thing that you wish we had approached differently? I wish that we had communicated better. And when I say we, I'm talking about public officials and public health. I wish that we had communicated better to the Bay Area public what we know and what we knew and what we didn't know 
what were the knowns and the unknowns and made it clear a course that we needed to take because we needed to act. We couldn't wait and just be paralyzed and not act. And I think if we had had clearer information about that, uh, that is clearer information to the public in general, I think we would have gotten even a better response than we had. I think another area that really was very problematic for the Bay Area as it is and continues to be for the rest of the country is that we didn't do a good enough job addressing the inequities of, during this pandemic. There were much higher rates of hospitalization and death in those people in the lower socioeconomic rungs of our society. There were much higher rates of uh, hospitalization and death and cases in different racial ethnic groups. That should never have happened. The pandemic has uh, really shown the underbelly of what's what society is like in the Bay Area in the sense that there's tremendous inequities and those inequities really resulted in an awful lot of unnecessary suffering by members of our community. Yeah. Well, that I think leads smoothly into the third question that I wanted to ask, which is what lessons should we take going forward? And this is something else that's been made very obvious by this pandemic. It's that health emergencies are uh, a fact of life. So when the next major healthcare crisis strikes, what is the top lesson that you would hope that we would carry with us into that experience? Well, the top lesson is to recognize that there will be another strike and another strike after that and another strike after that. We really lived in a pretty blessed time in the last half of the uh, 20th century. AIDS was a horrible pandemic, still continues to be a problem for us, but we didn't get hit over and over and again with, with um, terrible problems. The 21st century, we've had several pandemics. Roughly every five years, we're seeing something happen now. And this may very well be the model going into the future. What we have to get right is the recognition that the future is going to be, that we're going to be challenged with infectious agents that could be less severe than SARS-CoV-2 or much more severe than SARS-CoV-2. And we've seen what COVID has done in terms of disrupting not only the Bay Area, the United States, but the entire world. So the bottom line to this is that we have to be prepared. We spent the last 30 to 40 years in our society, not just California, but the entire the United States, underfunding public health, underemphasizing it. When the pandemic struck, we were completely ill-prepared. It was like going into a battle without any kind of uh, defensive mechanisms, much less offensive mechanisms. We have to be prepared for the next one and the next one and the next one. That means not just better science, and more funding for the science, but we need better public health. And it just doesn't mean funding for public health, but it means rethinking how public health is carried out in this country. What authorities does it need? What authorities shouldn't it have? How well can public health commun communicate? This was an enormous failure and continues to be a failure in terms of public health today. And we need to learn better how to communicate with the public so we're all on the same page. A divided society in the face of a catastrophe like COVID means that it's going to be more of a catastrophe. We need to be all on one page going forward. 
Yeah, well, I think that that's an important point to end on, and so we'll leave it there. We've been speaking with Dr. John Swartzberg, Clinical Professor Emeritus of Infectious Diseases at UC Berkeley's School of Public Health. Dr. John Swartzberg, thanks as always. Thank you, Keith. This is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Menconi. Today, with COVID emergency orders coming to a close at the local, state, and federal level, we're reflecting on the past three years of fighting this pandemic, getting the view from local health experts on what that fight has added up to. We're going to hear next from someone who has offered quite a different perspective on COVID safety measures. That's Dr. Monica Gandhi, an infectious disease physician at UC San Francisco. Dr. Monica Gandhi, good to have you on as always. Thank you. So over the course of the pandemic, you have been a strong voice from within the medical community, calling for us to consider not just the risks from COVID, but also the collateral damage caused by our various COVID precautions. So, for example, you are a big believer in the power of masks to keep individual wearers safe from COVID-19. Uh, But you do not believe in mask mandates and worry about how divisive that intervention has become. So, you know, collateral damage right there. Uh, I'll be putting the same set of questions to you that we just put to John Swartzberg. Uh, What did we get right? What did we get wrong? What lessons should we take going forward? This time, though, we're going to put it in a slightly different order. Uh, This time, let's start with what, in your view, has been the greatest failure in the Bay Area's response to COVID-19? Um, Well, it it does actually speak to the collateral damage that you mentioned. I think our biggest failure in the Bay Area was our prolonged school closures. We had uh, in the state of California, we were 50 out of 50 in reopening schools. And the city of San Francisco um, was had the longest school closures in their public schools, whereas wealthy individuals could afford to and did have their children in private schools. This led to disparities in learning loss. This led to um, lower-income children uh, missing out uh, in terms of learning loss and uh, will have probably occupational implications, uh, salary implications, learning implications for possibly a generation. So I, I would just focus on the school closures as the thing that I was most concerned about in our response. And uh, so sticking with that point for one second, I mean, I, there are so many tricky trade-offs that we really have to weigh uh, with all of these interventions. Um, We were trying to figure out for a long time exactly to what extent schools would be a vector of transmission for this virus. Uh, That wasn't really clear early on. We've gotten more evidence since then. When do you think, in your view, it became uh, clear that we were waiting too long to reopen schools? Well, luckily, actually, we did have a lot of data early on because this was a worldwide pandemic. Um, So it wasn't actually just restricted to the United States. We could look to Europe and the UK and see how they responded. There are pandemic playbooks. I'm an infectious disease doctor, and there, there are playbooks that always actually stress the importance of schools for children. And Europe, specifically Scandinavia, which, by the way, leans left, as does the Bay Area, open their schools actually in the spring of 2020. Um, so no, we were definitely not in a vacuum. We had really good data very early on that um, children were just com- almost completely spared severe disease from COVID-19. It's a very um, odd fact, actually, because measles, mumps, rubella, pertussis, other diseases affect children more severely 
this had to do with their innate immune response, which we ended up learning later in the pandemic. But because children were so much at less risk, less risk for severe disease, which was known about in February 2020 from the Wuhan data, um, schools were opened in Scandinavia and then in the rest of Europe in 2020. And um, fall of 2020 is when the rest of Europe opened up. Scandinavia was earlier. So no, we 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 actually did have the data. So probably probably by the fall of 2020, we would have been following our our uh, rel- relatively um, you know kind of neighbors that have similarly high income. And just sticking with this on on the theme of perhaps reacting too slowly to some of this data, you know, uh, of course, there there has been, as we mentioned earlier in the program, this tug and this pull between uh, those who uh, say that we open up too quickly, potentially putting vulnerable folks at risk and other folks who say we really dragged our feet. How do you think about um the, the the right trade-off and um, how we perhaps going forward could make better decisions about those trade-offs if faced with a similar crisis like this again. Yes. Yeah, so um, luckily, I, I wrote a whole book on it. It's called Endemic. It's coming out in July. It's for Mayo Clinic Press. And um, actually, in that book, I discuss every single thing that we just talked about, um, including what we haven't gotten to, which is what the Bay Area did right, which was high vaccination rates. Um, so it actually lays out a roadmap um, for uh, uh, and a playbook for the next pandemic, um, and and it addresses just this: putting the infection in the context of society, and uh, which is what we did with HIV. Not early on, there was a lot of um, uh, right-leaning uh, people who uh, decided that that gay people should be closed down um, and and from expressing their sexuality. But that was that was a certain um, the conservative groups. But usually we had a very, what we call a harm reduction response, which is figuring out how to minimize the impact of the pathogen while also uh, uh, taking into account the needs of society. It's what we did on the left with HIV, and I hope that we'll do um, with future pandemics. So in this case, what we would do is look at um, getting our um, vulnerable vaccinated we absolutely had wonderful vaccination rates in the Bay Area. We did that right. We did great. We um, actually worked in communities, uh, rolled out the vaccine in, in uh, underrepresented minority communities, and absolutely have great vaccination rates and did really well. And there are now two studies, one very large one across the planet, um, that in high-income countries, the only, the absolutely only predictor was how countries did was their vaccination rates, um, especially those over 60. So Sweden actually has the one of the lowest rates of mortality um, uh, across the planet, the, and they didn't yeah, choose to uh, keep the schools closed so, so long. Um, so that, and then there's another um, paper from JAMA that looks at what were the main risk factors for COVID mortality in this pandemic. And again, it was vaccination rates. So states with lower vaccination rates fared much more poorly than states with higher vaccination rates. We were right high vaccination rate state. So we've done very well, but I think it's because of the vaccine. Um, and keeping the idea of the context of society, I just happen to be someone who not only is an HIV doctor, but I I, I, I work with vulnerable patients. I work with um, low-income patients. Uh, for most of my career, I've been um, at, a, at a clinic and, and, and I've always been interested in working with patients who are low-income, public insurance. So my viewpoint, of course, is going to be biased by um, a response that favored the wealthy um, and really, really hurt the poor. Hmm. Uh, well, all right. So uh, 
not exactly how I plan for us to get to my questions, but you've actually managed to hit number two and number three with that answer. Uh, what did we do right? You're saying uh, the vaccine rollout went exceptionally well. And uh, what do you hope that we learn for future health emergencies? Uh, you're saying that you're hoping that in the future we take in that uh, bigger picture of impacts when it comes to health orders and consider uh, the broader consequences that they might have. Um, a lot more that could be said on all those fronts, of course, but we are going to have to leave it right there. Dr. Monica Gandhi, one last time, is an infectious disease physician at UC San Francisco. Dr. Gandhi, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Incidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey! Popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. This is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi. Once again today, we're getting perspective on the past three years of COVID response as local, state, and federal officials get ready to lift emergency declarations later this coming week. For our final segment, we've got one of those local officials on the line with us right now to share her perspective as well. That would be Santa Clara County Health Officer Dr. Sarah Cody, also the director of the county's public health department. Dr. Sarah Cody, good to have you back on the program. Nice to be here. Thanks so much. So the start of the pandemic both feels like a lifetime ago and uh, in a weird way, also like it happened just yesterday. Um, for anyone who's forgotten, you played a leading role in drawing together Bay Area health officers to announce lockdown orders in March of 2020. And of course, an awful lot has happened since then, uh, to say the least. Now, the end of the local public health emergency will mean the county's mass testing and vaccination efforts are going to wind down and the job is going to be taken up by private health care providers. Um, but taking a step back from the policy shift, wondering what your thoughts are at this moment, um, just on a more uh, personal and pragmatic level, does this feel like a major turning point for you and your team? Um, in some ways it does, and in some ways it doesn't. I think that we've been making a transition um, step by step over many, many, many months. Yeah. 
you know, it's a it's a gradual transition from um, the county and government uh, holding uh, a lot of the responsibility to transitioning over to more normal operations. Uh, people will get their healthcare um, vaccines, treatments, and tests where they do for any other infection, and the county will, as always, serve as a safety net uh, for anyone who is not able to access care, regardless of ability to pay. Yeah, yeah. So kind of a continuation of trends that have been going on for uh, a long time at this point. Uh, shifting over to our reflection on the past three years, uh, earlier in this program, I asked local local health experts uh, to reflect themselves on what the region has gotten right and what it's gotten wrong in its COVID response. Uh, I want to put a similar question to you. Um, you know, we were obviously working with the best information that we had available at the time throughout this pandemic, uh, but we have learned an awful lot at this point um, on how COVID spreads, on what masks can do, what they can't do. And, you know, also just on the human end of things, you know, <laughs> how people act during a time of pandemic. So a lot of lessons there. Curious from you, what you would say has been the most important lessons that you've taken away? It's difficult to pick out the most important because there have been so many lessons. Um, one of the things that I think we really did get right is uh, acting and moving as a region. Um, mm. This was very difficult to do, and we couldn't always do it precisely. But our our spirit of acting as a region, I think, was um, enormously protective for the for the whole Bay Area, and I'm. Um, that's something that that I think we we did right, and uh, and I think we would do that again. The whole pandemic is such, was so dynamic um, because new information was coming in every day, um, you know, through a fire hose, and we were all trying to make decisions on behalf of the residents that we serve uh, every day to incorporate new information and then and then adjust as necessary. And, and, and that was very, very difficult. And of course, we didn't get every little one right. Um, but on the whole, I think we did um, reasonably well, just in, as far as if you look at the mortality rates in the Bay Area as compared to the rest of the state or as compared to the country, you know, that's a like a very basic measure to look at. And um, we did better than other places in that in that respect. In terms of, I mean, picking up on uh, some of the themes that you raised there in, in, in terms of taking into consideration uh, how these various orders would impact Bay Area residents and, and all of their needs. Uh, a little bit earlier, we had on uh, Monica Gandhi with UC San Francisco. And one of the concerns that she expressed is that over the course of the pandemic, uh, she feels that not enough consideration was given to uh, how the health orders would affect the the most vulnerable among us, the least affluent, the least able to weather the uh, economic disruptions that would come along with some of these health orders. And uh, for her, that was one of the uh, the biggest failings of uh, the pandemic, that um, uh, perhaps that cost benefit was not uh, looked closely enough at. Now, I, I know from uh, interviews with you that I've read that that is something that weighed an awful lot on your mind. Wondering if you could share with our listeners a little bit how those types of considerations uh, played into your calculus and maybe some of the lessons you learned on that front. Yeah, that's a, a, a very complicated question, of course. One of the things that we thought a lot about, as did many, was um, just looking at experiences in other places in the world and in the country 
that had very high mortality rates about the community trauma and family trauma uh, when someone dies um, and dies, dies prematurely. So we were trying to avoid that. I was also thinking about if we could do everything in our power to keep the community transmission as low as possible, that would benefit our most vulnerable communities who had less means to protect themselves from COVID. So it was navigating, uh, you know, really trying to thread the needle to, to craft policies that were overall most health protective. One of the greatest challenges in doing that, of course, was lack of information. You know, we don't have, we, we have now better and better surveillance systems or, or ways to monitor um, infectious diseases. It's, we don't have the same information available to us in um, public health departments to monitor the social and economic impacts because optimally what we'd of course all like to do is craft policies that, um, you know, while not perfect for everyone, are going to provide the most benefit to the most people. Um, and that's very difficult to do, particularly um, in the moment, um, you know, while things are moving, moving, uh, moving very fast. So my hope is that this um, pandemic experience spurs us to create those systems where we can have that kind of information more readily available to inform our policy decisions. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah. So that's perhaps one of the lessons that we can take with us uh, going forward. I'm, I'm going to ask a, a similarly overly complicated uh, question uh, again, and uh, we'll just uh, see where it can go. But, you know, given uh, all of those complexities and uh, everything that we did learn, I, I wonder if, you know, a month from now, if the Bay Area was once again facing a pandemic of a similar scale, a similar risk level, would you think that we should respond with the same general playbook of, you know, uh, lockdown orders, masking orders, uh, various kinds of support for uh, testing and, and other support uh, for folks in the community? Uh, or or is there some, based on what we know now, are there some big changes that you would make to that playbook? I think that whatever policy decisions that we make and implement, they they have to take into account um where you know where we are where where is where is the public how is our infrastructure how's our healthcare system uh, those are all really important factors to consider in, in making these decisions and we're not where we were 3 years ago um you know the the uh, healthcare providers are are burnt out exhausted the public is exhausted uh, so in some ways i think that some of the tools we had available while few may not be um, may not actually be available to us now. For example, if we had some new new threat that cropped up tomorrow, what we're better at now is our some of the public health data as far as infectious diseases, at least in Santa Clara County, I think that we're in a much better place um, to get that information rapidly, synthesize it and present it to the public, for example, on our dashboards, we didn't have any of that in place uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, and we have that in place now, and it and it and it works quite well. So that would um, be an asset that we didn't have. But you know, I I think that with any kind of an emergency, you have to quickly assess sort of all all as all aspects of 
where the risks are um, and what tools you have available. And and I think it would be it would be different now than it was three years ago. Hmm. Well, we only have a minute or so left, and uh, I guess I'll end out on a slightly more personal note. Uh, you are a uh, self-described introvert, and so uh, obviously the past three years you have been in the spotlight uh, much of that time. Uh, I wonder if it's a little bit of a relief now that things are winding down a little bit and uh, you can uh, continue your work in a uh, more behind-the-scenes, perhaps, uh, sort of way. Uh, also, we should point out that Many of your colleagues, health officers throughout California, resigned their positions over the course of the pandemic just uh, because of the many uh, huge stressors that they faced, uh, some of them quite unfairly. So here we are, uh, a relief at this moment? Well, um, yes, of of course, I I am. um, It it is nice to step back a little bit and return to uh, our more normal public health operations. I do want to end by saying that I feel so incredibly grateful to practice public health in a community like um, the County of Santa Clara, both because I think I've had um, phenomenal support from uh, the public health department and colleagues across county government. Um, And I would say that the way that communities in Santa Clara County mobilized to help each other was it it just about leaves me speechless and that saved so many lives um so many people came came together you know that that got more difficult as the pandemic went on um but but there was a sense of a sense of solidarity that i hope is durable and i am tremendously tremendously grateful to uh work in in a community that like like ours here Yeah, I think that was a feeling that was shared by folks throughout the Bay Area. There was this sense of uh, solidarity, uh, community that uh, went through um, uh, many of the most difficult moments of this pandemic. And I think uh, a lot of us are are grateful for that. We have been speaking one last time to Santa Clara County Health Officer, Dr. Sarah Cody. Dr. Sarah Cody, thanks so much. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Mancone. Stay safe, be well, and talk again next week. been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this... Why? A lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 
We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified, diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places.